You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. This week's reading is from Romans chapter 8. We know that all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of God? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or disaster or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers nor heights or depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, praise team. What a wonderful word that we have to celebrate today. If you weren't here last week, we're taking a a sort of a pause from the book of Galatians and the study on the only gospel. We're spending two weeks in which I'm just sharing with you simply, humbly, but yet confidently what I am most thankful for as a pastor, as a follower of Christ, and as your brother in Christ. Last week I introduced or reintroduced to you a word, a word that I want in every family, a word that I want when a family gets together at mealtimes or in the car on the way to stuff and a tire goes out or things happen, good, bad, whatever. I want a family to know this word, to celebrate this word and a word that I am thankful for and that's the word sovereign. And last week we talked about in particularly that I am thankful, most thankful for the sovereignty of God. And I won't unpack that today. Uh, you can go online and look at and, and watch the video sermon series or listen to it however you want to. But I am most thankful for the sovereignty of God, that he is sovereign and that I am not sovereign. 
I am thankful because he is a sovereign creator. He is a sovereign governor. He is a sovereign sustainer and a sovereign savior. And what that means for me is that I have peace now. We called it a present peace. I have an eternal joy forever and ever because his sovereignty doesn't end. So if my joy is in his sovereignty, then my joy is eternal. This also means we have a divine purpose and mission. And this also means we have one, only one, who is worthy of worship. We don't have to be confused with how we spend our days. We don't have to be confused what we give our life to. We don't have to be sort of religious schizophrenic and thinking that, oh, should we worship this God or that God? Who's worthy? I don't know who's worthy. No, we have one who's worthy, and I am thankful for his sovereignty. Today, we will look from this text that Rob read for us, and I will share why not only am I thankful for a sovereign God, I am also thankful that a sovereign God wants us. Think about that. I'm going to continue to preach, but that alone, just the thought that a sovereign God would want us. Just as last week I said that there's no way to completely cover the topic of the sovereignty of God in a a brief 30-minute message, I will say it again this week that there's no way to cover this text or this topic in a brief sermon. This text is full. It's full, it's rich, it's worthy of its own series of multiple sermons for multiple weeks, multiple conversations to have, but today I want to simply draw out from this the big general news from these 12 verses, which is a sovereign God wants us. Heavenly Father, because we believe you to be sovereign, I am asking you, O sovereign God, make this news explode in our soul. And convince us, O God, not only of your sovereignty, but of your sovereign love. And how your sovereignty leads you to want even us. Help us to understand these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So, what what am I thankful for today? The day I say to you, I am thankful that God wants us. Deep down, let's think about this. We all want to be wanted, don't we? Each generation will say it a little differently. One generation might describe it this way. They want to be chosen. They want to be drafted. They want to be called on. They want to like, give their lives. They want to matter to something. Another generation wants to, will say it like this. They want to be heard. They want to be listened to. They want to make a difference in their culture and in their community. When I arrived on the scene as the college minister in Belton, knowing that I was now going to be tasked with the awesome, wonderful privilege of shepherding college students at the University of Maryland Baylor and Temple College, knowing that most of the students that are coming to Maryland Baylor, not all of them, but most of them are coming from church families. I got a group of college students together, just a small group, about three or four students, and I said, tell me 
what you think the greatest need is for the students on this campus. I expected to hear things that they're struggling with. I expected to hear connection with church or with this or getting over sins. And what I heard was the phrase, we want, we need to feel needed. The sense of being important, having a voice, belonging in some way. The reality is that we all, no matter what stage of life we are in, we want to be wanted, whether it is the orphan in the orphanage that's longing for the person to come and say, I want you, or whether it's the elderly person in the nursing home that's wanting somebody to come and visit them. We all want to be wanted. Do you remember the days as a kid when those words came out of someone's mouth on the playground? The words were, let's pick teams. You remember that? What comes to your mind right now when you hear those words? I am convinced that the phrase, hey, let's pick teams, only comes out of the mouth of someone who is going to be the team captain or somebody who's really good at the game that we're about to play. Somebody who struggles with kickball is not saying at the beginning of a kickball game, hey, let's pick teams. Why? As each name is called out, You keep hoping yours is next. Oh, please don't, out of a group of ten, let mine be number seven, eight, nine, or ten. Oh, the the emotions of being in the top three picked versus the bottom three picked. The bottom three causes us to feel like, well, I guess we'll have to put up with Jason. We'll have to find a way for him to connect with the team. We can hide him over here or over here, but you know, it is what it is. It falls down to where we either got to pick Jason or Rob. No offense, Rob. But uh, okay, we'll take Jason. We'll find a place for him. That feeling versus if you were one of the first three picked. Oh, we need Jason. We want Jason. We can't win or advance without Jason. There's the, they don't say that. But when you're number eight and when you're number two, There's a feeling of, oh, to be wanted. One makes us feel important, valued, needed, called on, wanted. If we were picked last, the other makes us feel unimportant, meaningless, tolerated, unwanted. You ever feel like that? You ever, we sure have felt like that in some way or the other. Often we don't realize how much we really want to be wanted. It's not until we feel the sting of rejection. You're like, oh man, you grew up in a good family, you grew up in a good church maybe, and then you go somewhere and all of a sudden you realize you're not picked. Somebody was promoted over you or somebody was selected ahead of you or you reach out for that baby and that baby does one of these. We've all been there, right? Even a secure confident male reaching for a little baby who just doesn't want to leave his mom can cause us to feel like well what's what's wrong with me we desire this we have this desire to feel special to feel important to feel wanted and one of the things i am most thankful for is that we are wanted 
And we're not just wanted by people. We're wanted by a sovereign God. You may say, Jason, how do I know for sure that I am wanted by God? Well, there are two ways we see in this text. And again, we're not going to get to drill down real deep. But what we know is that we know that we are wanted by His Word. And we know that we are wanted by His works. Let's look at these one at a time. We know that we are wanted by His Word. This text in Romans chapter 8 is one of multiple texts all throughout Scripture that talks about a sovereign God choosing and having and, and wanting a people for Himself. It is all throughout Scripture. It's one of these stories of Scripture. It begins in Genesis 1 where God creates people He wants. And all throughout Scripture we see the outpouring and the working out of Him wanting us. But I want to not only share with you this text, I want to share with you a text in Ephesians. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 1. Usually when people struggle with what it means to be wanted or called on, they, uh, they avoid texts like Romans 8 because it's so controversial. How dare a God want somebody or choose somebody or elect somebody? But if we look at the words of God in the Bible, we cannot escape that God wants his children instead of fighting against it listen to this as if it's a message for you Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens and Christ verse 4 for he chose us before we get on to the rest of it we sometimes skip way too fast over the first two words. For He. For He chose us in Him, referring to Jesus. For He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before Him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for Himself according to the good pleasure of of his will. He did not do this reluctantly. His word is saying, I want you. I'm choosing you. I've done it before the foundations of the world. For my pleasure, I have done this. In verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. And later in chapter 2, Paul continues with the message. In verse 12, he tells these non Jewish believers. In verse 12, he says, At, the time, at that time, you were without Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. You were foreigners to the covenant of the promise. You were without hope and without God in the world. You weren't picked on the team. You were over here. The draft hadn't happened. You haven't caught me. That's what it felt like for you, he's saying. It felt like you were always on the outside. It felt like you were never included. But in chapter 1, it says there was a plan before the foundations of the world for you to know that you know that you know you're chosen by God he goes on but now in Christ Jesus you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ back to our main text this morning I want you to look at the very last part of the text that Rob read in verse 38 through 39 how do we know that we know that he wants us his word tells us this look in verse 38 
For I am persuaded, Paul says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. How do I know that He wants me? Well, a sovereign God says, there is absolutely nothing in your wildest imagination that can separate me from you. I want you. Think about how grand the Grand Canyon is. Think about how deep the universe is. Think about all the enemies that try to keep you from this or distract you from that. And God says, nope, none of it. None of it can keep me from loving you. These are really good words to be told by anyone. I love you. I choose you. I want you. It's cause enough to celebrate and to be thankful. But to be told these things by the one that is sovereign is unbelievable. In fact, I think the feeling of gratitude rises and falls based on who it is that wants us. Many of you have heard this story before. And if you have, I'm sorry, but it just fits perfectly here. There was a time when Kelly and I started dating. And... We started dating. I was in high school, and we had been dating for some time. We had been courting for a long time, and and then we actually officially became boyfriend and girlfriend, and then many weeks had gone by, and then eventually we had that first kiss, and after that first kiss, the next day, I went and played football, and at that moment, I had a concussion. Now, this was the kind of concussion that had immediate short-term memory loss, so unfortunately, everything I'm about to tell you is an account that somebody told me happened. I don't remember anything about the first kiss. I don't remember anything about the night before. And what happened was I was in the emergency room and I would lean over and I'd see my mom and my dad, my family over here. And I'd be like, I could recall them. I could remember this. And then I would lean over and see this girl. Her name was Kelly Walbrick. And I'd be talking and like, what? And I'd look over and my eyes would get big. What's Kelly Walbrick doing here? And they would tell me kindly she's your girlfriend yes she likes you she wants to be here and I would with great emotion say I don't know but I was told it was something like Kelly Walbrick is my girlfriend you gotta be kidding me and I would lean over to her and she would confirm it and it would be that kind of great a moment and then 10 seconds would go by and I'd lean over talk to my parents and I'd lean over what's Kelly Walbrick doing here and this went on repeatedly Eventually, Kelly made flashcards that said, yes, I'm here. Yes, you're my boyfriend. Yes, I'm glad to be here. And yes, we kissed and you don't remember. Whatever the flashcard said, but it was a constant reminder. Now, how often we need to be told and reminded that someone greater than Kelly loves us. I love the love of my wife. But even in my short-term memory loss, I, I was in awe that somebody like her, I didn't deserve her. She was a year ahead of me. She was topping her class. I mean, all this stuff that would disqualify a guy like me by being in the same room with her, and she would like me enough to keep telling me, I love you. I, well, she didn't say I love you. Sorry, that was premature. But she would say, you're my boyfriend. You're my boy. Yes, I want to be here. Yes, I'm glad to be here. 
And we are that way all the time. A sovereign God says with his flashcards over and over and over again, I want you, I want you. Quit denying this. Quit forgetting this. I love you. A sovereign God tells us repeatedly. We know that he wants us by his words and the continual bombardment of his word that says that I just have chosen three texts to give to you. But all throughout scripture, we see texts like we are wonderfully and beautifully crafted and made and designed. We are created and crafted to be in his hands. We know by his word, but we also know by his work. To be told that you are loved and that you are wanted is one thing, but seeing those actions of love and receiving from the one who loves us really is the key reinforcement to this. It's one thing to walk up to the court with a buddy and the buddy, you know, is going to be the team captain. The buddy is the one who dominates the game. And he says, oh, you're with me. I've got you. You're on my team. I'm with you. And you get to the court and you get there. And then all of a sudden there's these other guys that walk up that the buddy wasn't counting on that obviously by the eye test are way more important to the team's cause than you. And all of a sudden, oh, I pick him and I pick him and I pick him. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. You said we were together. Suddenly you will realize that your friend and his words were empty. God's words are not empty because his actions communicate just how much he wants us. He wants us and he shows us by his words and he wants us and he shows us by his works. The last part of this passage is amazingly powerful that we read 38 through 39. It's his words that I love you, I love you, I love you. Nothing's going to take you away from me. And it helps us through dark times. It helps us when we're in the valley. But we should not miss the message that comes before it. Let's behold the actions and the work of God and what he has done to Prove to us that he wants us. Let's walk through this. It's going to be hard for many of us to understand, and there's no way to really explain it all here, but listen to the grand theme here. Verse 29, Paul says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. This is one way to say it. This is one way to say that I, God, not only love you, not only do I want you, I have orchestrated the plan. I've rigged the game. I want you on my team. There's nothing going to... I've called you. I've selected you. I've chosen you. You are going to be working and be conformed to matter on my team. Another way he says it, and actually he walks it out a little more practically here in verse 30. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. It's key. Those he justified, he also glorified. Wait, wait, wait a minute. We get, we get to be glorified? When you're called by God and you're chosen by God, he pays the price. 
He takes care of all the injustice. He takes care of all the injustice that's keeping you from being on his team. And he says, I've called you. I'm paying the price. I'm going to be on you. And I'm going to work to conform you into something beautiful, the image of God. More on that in a minute. Another way to specifically say how he plans to conform us is to say, I've not only been telling you with words, I have planned and orchestrated all things to have you and to have you forever. His work for us is proof that he wants us. And then another way he says it in verse 31 and 32, part of the plan. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who's against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything It's not only his words of I love you, I love you, I love you. He's saying, I am sending my own son to justify you, to confirm you, to hold you, so that you will be one of the brothers and sisters with him, with me forever. That's how much I want you. We see also in, I'm going to read to you Romans chapter 5. Verses 6 through 8, we see Paul say it this way, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, sounds like the kid who's not good at kickball on the kickball field. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, Perhaps someone might even dare to die, but God proves his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is amazing news. God, the ultimate sovereign, wants you. You haven't earned the right to be wanted by God. The scripture makes it very clear all throughout scripture. Yes, God wants you. And yes, there's nothing you've done to earn it. We know how deep, how dark, how dirty we can be. Our thought life, what we've done. We know what we've done this week. We know how we felt about the family members who took the piece of pumpkin pie that we didn't want them to take. We know what we feel about people when we see them on TV that disagree with us. We know all the hate-filled ugly things that we wrestle with we know deep down there's no reason god would want us but he does and he's paid the price to take care of all that ugliness so that you can be with him forever god doesn't just want you he wants you and he wants our good you ever there was a particular time when um, I was on a basketball team. In fact, I've, the first time I hurt my knee, I was on a three, playing in a three-on-three tournament. And there was four of us on this team. We're playing up in Dallas. And we were, we were looking good, right? Like there, we were doing things that were right. We're in, our, I think, our third game. And um, 
and I tore my knee, and there was that feeling, even though I wanted to get back in there and play, even though deep down I was thinking, I don't want to let down my team, deeper down from that was this reality that I knew that I was the fourth best person on that team. I wasn't bad. I mean, I could dunk, I could shoot a little bit, but the other three people were way better than I was. And so there was that thought that if I'm sidelined, it won't really matter that much. If I'm not really on the team, I'll get the shirt maybe if we win. But they're going to win more without me. Many times, that's how we feel about church. Yeah, okay, God wants me. He's asked me to be on the team. But it's probably better if I'm just not involved. If I'm just not included. I mean, God wants me, but the people in that pew number four don't want me. That's why I want to leave here as quick as I can. That's why I don't want to bump into anybody because, I mean, yeah, okay, God wants me, but they don't really want me. No, God wants us and he wants our good. It's not God's plan to pick us on the team and to deselect us by putting us on the bench. Look with me in verse 28. Here's what we see here. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. We know that all things we need to first understand that god is working stuff out for our good he doesn't just save us justify us and put us on the bench no he's wanting us to grow in verse 29 we see the words to be conformed he wants you and he wants your good he wants your and later we see he wants to bring you into glory he wants to say to you on the day that you see him, well done, good and faithful servant. These all things that are working are working to conform us into someone better. He is doing an important work in our life. You might feel like the weak link, but God's saying, I want you and I'm going to work in your life so that you will no longer be feel like a weak link in my family i love this god wants us he wants our good he wants our growth and i'm so thankful that god is sovereign it means present peace it means eternal hope it means purpose in my life it means someone worthy to worship and i'm thankful that god is sovereign and that he wants us and wants our good but you might be here today and you say well i still struggle I need help. I don't really feel that I'm wanted or called in a part of the family of God. I want to do an experiment with you, and it hopefully won't take too long, but I want you to look at this text with me again. There's a reason why I feel like God chose this text to talk about his wanting of us. I want you to look with me. I'm going to reread it all 12 verses and I want you to look with me and highlight or circle or try to count all of those plural connotations in this text you know those texts that talk about we or us or me listen to what Paul says about this this is so important he says it I highlighted them orange on my scripture printout so you can see there's a lot orange on there so if you're not seeing it then look deeper okay here we go 
we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? It's plural. God is the one who justified. Who is the one who condemns Christ? Jesus is the one who died. But even more, he has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or the danger or the sword as it is written because of you we are being put to death all day long we are counted as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Did you count? There are about 24 different times where Paul is referring to To us, we, a collective. What's he saying? What's going on here? He wants you, and he wants you on his team. In Scripture, in the New Testament, the the church of God is referred to in a couple of ways, a few ways, and two of those ways are the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. What we need to realize is the way that God wants you to grow for your good is for you to grow for your good with that which is most precious to Him. Do you realize that the church is called the bride of Christ? Do you get that? Christ could marry any entity any institution he could have married rome he could have married jerusalem he could have married whatever he chose to declare that my bride will be the people of god that i want and they are my bride all of them collectively i want them so we must not forsake our time together all throughout scripture we see in acts we see it in hebrews a commitment that if we want to grow in our identity of who we are in god oh beloved commit to the people of god connect with them in hebrews 10 we see it and i'll just paraphrase it real briefly it says oh let's not forsake meeting together 
so that we can encourage one another, so that we can constantly get the love notes. Yes, you're wanted, you're wanted, you're wanted. I love you, I love you, I love you. So that we can keep pointing to the future. Yes, there's coming a day that He's working in us. If you're going through junk in your life, the first thing Satan wants to do is disconnect you from the body. It's in the body that we can get together like Paul's doing with the Romans and saying, hey, all things are working together for your good. Where are you going to hear that if you're not in a group, if you're not in a church? In America, you probably hear it on the radio. Probably turn in the TV and hear it. Some distant person doesn't know you at all. But oh, to have somebody sitting at your bed that wants you, that says, Yes, I want to be here with you. I want to help you. I want to hold your hand. I'm going to be here for you. Is there affirmation of God saying to you, I'm sovereign and I've got a team. I want you on it. I planned for you to be on it. I don't plan for you to sit on the bench. I plan for you to be integral, to be a part. I am so thankful for the sovereignty of God. One of the things we try to do, not all, every week, but we've been doing it more and more often, is to, to stop the sermon in time for us to sing and reflect on what we just thought about. So this is a time for us to have maybe some extended time of singing so that we can reflect what it is to really celebrate, to be wanted by God, to be wanted by a sovereign God. This is a time just like the first part of singing. That at the end, you can with me say, yes, yes, thank you. Thank you, God. You're sovereign. I'm not. Thank you that you want me, even though I don't understand why. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you don't know if God really wants you, you say, Jason, that's great that you apply that to your church. But I don't know Jesus that way. At the end of our time, when everybody's leaving and they're talking, there are going to be people up here at the front, and we want to help you. We want to pray with you. We want to introduce you to the one who wants you. So come talk to us, okay? We want to help you with that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is such a joy to read your letters again and again and again and again that say, I want you, I've taken care of it, I want you, I've planned it, I want you, you're mine, I want you, I want you, I want you. And I pray, God, that you would convince us of that beauty of that truth and that as we move into an Advent season in which we celebrate and we anticipate the how you called us and the how you justified us, I pray that we end our Thanksgiving month just saying thank you. Thank you for being sovereign. Thank you for wanting me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.